Greetings and salutations. I hope your day is both tranquil and fulfilling. I am Athanasius, and welcome back to the podcast of the Boldly Immortal. So, on the past couple episodes, I covered the context for the use of the word words burn or fire in the Bible. And uh, the point there was really to prove a point. I was trying to prove that I was right by showing that the connotation of those words was not in any in any way related to joy or particularly comfort. Um, in fact, they were generally used to talk about discomfort. Uh, the words the words burn were uh, often used to represent offerings, right? So you had burnt offerings, um, but you also had anger burning. So if anything was burning inside of you, it was going to be anger. And then fire was very much associated with things burning. It makes makes a lot of sense there. Um, but, 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 as much as I appreciate where I left off and as much as I enjoy where I left off, which, for the record, um, I should probably cover again, um, I, I, I have th- given this quite a bit of thought. I've talked with uh, several pastors, and I've got, uh, I've come to the unfortunate very unfortunate realization that I was probably wrong. So let's go through this uh, one more time and see what more we can gain from this glorious text. So let's dive once more into Luke chapter 24 as we cover the road to Emmaus. All right. The key piece we're looking at in this three-part episode is the realization of the disciples. So Brief summary, so I don't read the whole thing through, because I want to make this episode a little bit, a little bit shorter. The there are two disciples of Jesus who are walking on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus on the Sunday of his resurrection. He, they're they're sad, they're they're gloomy, and then Jesus comes up and engages them. He asks, "Why are you so sad?" And they say, "Are you the only one who doesn't know what's been going on?" And he's like, "What's been going on? Tell me." Um, and they say, "Well." There was this Jesus fella, and uh, they just killed him. And we thought he was going to restore Israel to its glory, but uh, he's dead. But then these women showed up at his tomb, and they say they saw a vision of angels who said that he's risen from the dead. But some of our, our other disciples went there, and they didn't see him. And then Jesus turns to him, turns to them, and says, "O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into His glory?" Right. And so, and what's the glory of, of the Christ? Well, it is uh, his his work, his his suffering, death, and resurrection. It is his work to forgive our sins. That is his glory. Um, it's truly beautiful. And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Right? So he tells he gives them the best the best exegesis of the Old Testament in existence, right? The best explanation of, of Jesus in the Old Testament. Early on in this series, I did Christ in the Old Testament, parts one and two. Did that for a, a VBS group. And this this would have been the better version of that, like the the ultimate version of that. Uh, fantastic, just a, just a glorious opportunity to go through and, and see the prophets unfolded. And then they approached Emmaus, and he acted as though he was going to keep going, but they urged him to stay with them because it was toward evening. And as they reclined at table, he took the bread, broke it, blessed it, and broke it, and was giving it to them. 
then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, right? And here is the part that I've had trouble with. So this is a great text, by the way. Do not let my, please do not let my, my rambling on about it and uh, issue with one word, burn any of this away. This is, this is phenomenal. This is truly a, a beautiful, beautiful story. So they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found, gathered together the eleven and those who were with them. Um, and so the question that I had was, what is this burning heart? Because I I am learning, I'm the only one who ever thought of it differently than um, joy, right? But the thing is, there's no joy in the text. The word is, there, is not there. And I never made the association that your heart would be burning with joy. So the point of the previous two episodes was to say, look, it's not joy. It, it might be anger or frustration, and, or it might be, I think I ended the last episode by saying, they are burning away the false belief, right? That's what, that's what is being consumed by their heart, is their, their natural heart is being burned away by, the, um, by, this, by this fire that, that, that is coming from the scriptures. But... I realized that I had overlooked a couple of texts, a couple of usages, right? There were a couple of things that I brushed aside when I was talking about word usage, which I shouldn't have. And it comes in with the, particularly the word burn, on a couple of occasions. And the reason I discovered this was because I reached out to a couple of pastors, as I said, and um, my one of them is a Greek, well, all pastors in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, ought to be trained in speaking the original, not speaking, but understanding the original languages of the of the Bible, Hebrew and Greek. And so I reached out to one of them who, who went in and found the word for burn in this context, which is Kayo, right? Sounds like Kayu, who's a, a bald Canadian child from PBS programming when I was younger. No, this is Kayo. And... The form of the word in this particular position is a passive participle. It was a present passive participle, right? Oh, so what's that mean? Well, a participle is a verb that has been uh, formed, or a word that's been formed from a verb and is being used as an adjective or a noun. Uh, so it's not being used as a traditional verb, but it's a description. It's used to describe action on a noun um, while something else is going on. So what about the, the passive piece? Well, passive means that the word that it is referencing is being acted upon by the verb. So the verb acts on the noun in this case to describe some singular entity, right? To, so the noun is being acted upon as a reference to describe the noun, right? Which is really cool. Um, and so this is this is kind of fascinating. So the way that the this pastor dis, described the word to me was it is as though they said were not our hearts being caused to burn as we were walking right were not our hearts caused to burn within us while he spoke to us while he explained the scripture to us right now that oh that changes the context for me a little bit why because my my assumption well not not entirely my original assumption was that this was inward um, antagonism or frustration, 
But that's clearly not the case when you read it in the Greek, because it is something coming from outside um, and acting upon them. And and so then last last episode's reading is technically still viable, right? Were they not caused to burn? But the other thing is that another use of the word burn that I glossed over, as I mentioned earlier, um, and that is the candles, right? The little piece about the candles that, that I kind of skipped over, right? So in Revelation, when it talks about the, the candles, right? There's seven candles, um, or seven candlesticks that are burning before the Lord, the, you know, ancient of days of Daniel's um, prophecy. This one is the, the Lord in, in Revelation, and the, uh, the candles are burning. Of course they're burning, right? But the thing is that the candles are not consumed, right? It's not that the, the candle isn't there to be consumed. It's there to produce light. And I, I kind of just skipped over that because I didn't like it. It didn't exactly matter. Um, but there's another use of that in the New Testament that really brought that to the fore for me as a very important thing to consider for this passage. And that was, um, that was when Jesus speaks about John the Baptist in John chapter 5. So we did go over John the Baptist, right? The guy who says um, that the one coming after him will come with the Holy Spirit and fire, right? And that fire was seemingly connected with the um, burning of the chaff that comes. So that burning being representative of the the fire at the end of time that Revelation does speak of. Uh, but when Jesus speaks about John here in John chapter 5, right? John the Baptist in John the Evangelist, chapter uh, book of John the Evangelist, the good news according to John the Evangelist in the fifth chapter, we're going to begin with the 33rd verse. You have sent to John and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John, for the works which my Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me, you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You have not ha you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? And there it is. The, so ends the reading, first of all. Um, but there it is. The things that Jesus speaks speak of another type of burning, another type of illumination right and this is really i think the the piece that other people have seen that i haven't been attaching to the word burn now in my defense the word burn is not a good term to use in this case we have much better english words that would do this thing much better and i'll get to that but 
let us stay here before I return to that point of, well, all three of these, that the text that inspired all of them. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. Right? This is Jesus speaking. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. For the works which my Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. Again, this is Jesus speaking. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Right. So what he's saying here is exactly what he says to the people on Emmaus Road. What he says here is, in the scriptures is the testimony about the Son of Man, how he must be delivered into the hands of sinners, die, and enter into his glory. He's giving the Jews a heads up. He's giving the Jews a, a, a prelude to this, to this Emmaus sermon. In the scriptures are the testimony of Jesus. That's what he declares himself. Just before this, he declares that John was a lamp that was burning and shining, but that his light is greater, right? His testimony is greater. He is the light of the world, right? This is the piece. This is the piece I was missing. And, and, and it's obviously, this is John, and that was Luke, but it's the same Jesus, um, same Holy Spirit that inspired both of them. So I would have to set aside my my disagreement in light of two things. First, this alternative usage of the word burn, right? That the lamp is burning to shine a light, as Jesus is in fact the light of the world, but then also the um, the passiveness of the word burning, right? Made to burn. So let's combine those. Let's combine them and tie it in with something that's actually relatively relevant in our modern world, our postmodern world, in fact. Eastern spirituality, Eastern mysticism has become increasingly popular. Now, trust me on this, on this segue, right? It's become increasingly popular in the Western world and in America in particular, which is our battleground. And one of the things that they preach, right? One of the things that makes them so enticing is that they claim to give you a path to enlightenment. Now, the enlightenment in the Western world was a movement of people who wanted to use the tools of science, mathematics, and the human brain to know things, right? Mostly the human brain, um, but using tools to gain all knowledge, right? That, that rationality would conquer. This is what birthed the modern world. The Enlightenment was instrumental in killing God in the West, which Nietzsche finally diagnosed, right, by saying God is dead. He was right. God was dead in the society because they had actively worked to kill him, right? Um, there's a lot of irony there that we could get into about God actually dying, but rising from the dead. But the point that Nietzsche was making in his in his diagnosis of the Western world, when he said God is dead, what he was referring to was that the underpinning of Western civilization, right? Historically, the, the word for that is Christendom, right? The Western world was historically called Christendom. The underpinnings of Christendom were gone. We're gone because they killed God, 
And so you can't have Christendom without Christ. And in place of God, we erected man's reason. And the 20th century showed us just how deadly that can become and exactly how fast it becomes that deadly. Right? We saw more death there by people who ha- did not have a God than we saw in the rest of the the killings of the world before that. I mean, the amount of death that happened in the second and first and second world wars is unbelievable. But then you add on to that the deaths in um, communist China, communist Russia, the um, the famines that happened across the world because of those other movements. Um, it is it is truly awful. The twentieth century's death toll was immense, and and lacking a god. So when the Eastern mystics come to our modern world and say, we offer you a path to enlightenment, we are interested in what they have to say because they are not seeking to do it rationally, but in what they call spirituality or what I would call revivalism, right? Which is the other reason it's so easy to, uh, to attach it to the American Christianity. See, that's one of the things that I actively wanted to fight against when I was looking at that text, right? My heart was burning, right? The burning in the bosom is a very popular idea in American Christianity, but it's not, it's not what this text is talking about. So what is it talking about? Well, we'll get into that. But first, the historical context, right? Revivalism in America is pretty much the basis of American Christianity. There are other people you could go to, like uh, Chris Roseborough, if you want to learn about that. Pastor Chris Roseborough on uh, fighting for the faith. He's got some good good content if you're uh, looking to understand American evangelicalism, which is American Christianity uh, broadly defined. But that's honestly why I think that that Eastern mysticism has gained such a foothold in America. It's because it speaks to the same thing as American Christianity, and that is an emotional response to. Um, some external stimulus that gives you a positive emotional feeling uh, that then you you build off of. And the beauty of the Eastern mystics is that they don't seek to tie it in with any greater responsibilities. They leave it at, oh, this is a good thing for you to do. Right? This is a good thing to do, so we do it. Um, there's some wisdom in that. Now, there is some other spirituality tied up in that that I'm not going to touch because I'm not an expert. But suffice it to say, enlightenment is very popular in our world, whether from the modern, right, the modern world that is hanging on in our technocracy or the postmodern enlightenment, which is moving in with the modern spirituality movements, right, and seeking to find God within the, the spirit. Both of these enlightenments have their their crux at the human the human's ability to achieve its own enlightenment, right? Meditation. If you calm your mind, you will you will bring everything into order. You'll align your chakras, and you will receive enlightenment, right? You will be enlightened by what the the universe, I guess, right? Or the Western enlightenment study, study, experiment, test think, and you will learn the secrets to the universe. You'll figure it out, right? I'm going to use that word because I think that word is the word that I that would remove my gripe with the text, but also remove the gripe that 
I have with everybody else who reads the text. So it, it eliminates my confusion, and I think it brings out some, some really beautiful uh, poetry by allowing us to tap into modern words and fight against them in a, in a really fascinating way. So, understanding that it was a passive participle and that the word burn could be used in this case to refer to something like a candle shining light, right? Shining forth light, illuminating the world, enlightening the darkness. I'm going to read it like this. Did not our hearts receive enlightenment while he spoke to us on the road, while he explained the scriptures to us? Did not our hearts receive enlightenment? Now, I know that's a little bit more wordy, but I think it is more precise. And again, I will be reaching out to pastors and uh, other people to see if this is in fact accurate. But the punch here is, is incredibly powerful because it takes Western and Eastern mysticism and it casts them aside and it gives another path. It takes Socrates, right, the wisdom of the Greeks, and says no. It takes the, the mystics, right, those who seek signs and wonders, and it throws them aside. And it says, how did they receive enlightenment in their hearts, right? And hearts here, the other thing about that, right, studying the Greek, um, is that it is not the emotional center alone, but it is also the, the center of spiritual knowledge in the... In this, in this word, right? Cardia uh, is, the, is the Greek word for that. Um, cardiac, think about it like that way. That, that comes from the Greek word for cardia. Um, Greek word cardia, which means heart. Uh, but that isn't just your, your emotional center, it's also a spiritual center. Um, so this idea of your heart receiving enlightenment is covering not just some uh, good, happy feeling that comes by. In fact, arguably, it doesn't even require that, but it is that you, I mean, this is the, the idea of the I, right? Of, uh, an enlightenment is such a fundamental idea that, that we desire to have it connected with Jesus explaining the scriptures, right? Jesus speaks to them the words of the Old Testament, and he tells them how those point forward to his life, death, and resurrection, and they receive enlightenment. They receive enlightenment in their hearts, in their core. Their soul is enlightened. That's what they say. That is their testimony. And I'm honestly very glad that I've had this op had this opportunity to study this because it makes a lot more sense than what I was thinking previously, first of all. And that's a good smell check. But it also ties in really well with the rest of Scripture if we think about it that way. And there's um, some poetry that we have with regards to that. First of all, from the uh, service of evening prayer, the Thanksgiving for Light, and I apologize, I'm about to sing because I feel great. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. Who led your people Israel by a pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night, and lighten our darkness by the light of your Christ. May his word be a lamp to our feet, 
and a light to our path. A lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Enlighten our darkness by the light of your Christ. This is what he was saying in John. This is what he was confessing. This is what Jesus was telling us in advance. And this is what they're confessing now. Now there's one more um, piece of poetry here. This is the exultet from the uh, Easter vigil service. Um, And I'll just read this one. Rejoice now all you heavenly choirs of angels. Rejoice now all creation. Sound forth trumpet of salvation and proclaim the triumph of our King. Rejoice too all the earth in the radiance of the light now poured upon you and made brilliant by the brightness of the everlasting King. Know that the ancient darkness has been forever banished. Rejoice, O Church of Christ, clothed in the brightness of this light. Let all this house of God ring out with rejoicing, with the praises of all God's faithful people. This is what they're going through on Emmaus' road. This is what they're recognizing. It doesn't say that they're filled with giddiness or excitement or that they get some burning in the bosom, that they're all terribly excited. What, what it says is that they receive enlightenment. They understand. They get it. That their hearts are lit by this word, right? And yeah, I guess there's a fire involved. But in this particular case, and especially given our, our English language restrictions, I would, I guess, make the argument here that it's, um, it is illumination that is the key here, not the fire, not the, the energy necessarily. Is it there? Yeah, obviously. There's obviously some, some, some energy, some, some excitement that comes with this, uh, this enlightenment, but we do ourselves a disservice by focusing on that. And I think, I think that the, the word enlightenment here really has that poignant power to fight to fight for us against the the mystics on either side against the mystics of the mind and against the mystics of the emotion it can allow us to say enlightenment comes from outside yourself by sitting and hearing or maybe walking and hearing but by hearing the word that is where true enlightenment comes from in the Christian faith. And so we could go to our brothers in, the, uh, in either camp, right, the mystics or the rationalists, and say, you are both wrong, and we know the true path to enlightenment. We could tell people about Jesus by saying, this is the way to receive enlightenment, because they're just constantly trying to achieve enlightenment. And these men are confessing that it's not achieved, but received, but heard, that the heart is acted upon by the enlightenment that comes from Jesus speaking to them, and particular, Jesus Jesus speaking to them about the scriptures, explaining the scriptures. What better encouragement could you provide to say, hey guys, you should come to church. Come and hear the word. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Set it apart for the sacred things to listen to the sacred writings. Those holy writings, the holy books, 
that have been passed down to us with the testimony of Jesus to give us enlightenment. That is powerful. That's very powerful. And I think it's, it's a word that our modern, our modern sensibilities are primed to hear. So if you still want to think about it the way you uh, thought about it before, you're, you're welcome to do that. Um, I guess I, this is officially me retracting the argument against it, more or less, um, and saying I was wrong. So let it never be said that I cannot say I'm wrong. Um, there's now audio evidence of it that will be posted on the internet. So you can always have this, clip this. Um, I'm going to just, I'll say it more clearly. I was wrong. But I think I'm right now, like I did before. And I'm glad that I fought this because I think that what I've discovered here, or not discovered, what has been handed to me by those who know this better than I do, by those who have spoken with me, is a greater brilliance than I previously had seen. And it is a brilliance that I wish to treasure in, in my soul, right, in my very being, that the truth of the scriptures gives enlightenment to my heart that meditating on his word meditating on the word of god and how it points forward to christ is the path to true enlightenment join me then on sunday if you can in hearing that word in receiving the gifts god has given us Join me in receiving enlightenment from the light of the world. Christ crucified to the rationalist foolishness and to the spiritualist a stumbling block. Because that cross, that passion, and the words of his mouth are the only place that we can have enlightenment. And they only come to us by his glorious mercy. So thanks be to God for sending us his Son and for calling us every Sunday, every Lord's Day, in remembrance of his resurrection to be gathered together around those sacred texts, around those holy books in which his testimony is laid bare. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. I hope to hear from you. And until the next time, God's peace be with you.